0: Welcome to Punching
1: Out. I'm Ryan, joined today by Lou. Hey, guys. And Sid. Hello. Um, today, we're going to be talking about Sid's work in labor as a union organizer and what that entails and the importance of the labor movement in 2018. So, he labors
2: in uh, labor. <laughs>
1: yes. It's <laughs> um, hardcore. So just to start us off, Sid, what is it you do?
3: Right. Uh, thank you. Um, so... I am what uh, people in organizing might call an inside organizer. Um, And what that person is, is somebody who seeks employment from a place with the express purpose of organizing the workers into a union or organizing a union with the workers, kind of depending on how you want to word that. So that's that's what it is put simply so
2: you're really really cool is what you're saying <laughs> we like you A plus Woo. maybe,
3: maybe I uh, maybe I started doing this work because I'm not cool you know it's, it's hard <laughs> no. it's hard to determine
2: In our books here at Punching Out you are A plus star levels there's right?
3: like an element
1: of espionage to all this you know it's oh. almost like you're James Bond going Sid undercover Sid Bond
3: yeah that's how, I, that's how I think about it too um, especially during times of like low morale I'm like no 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 I'm, I'm the James <laughs> bond <in> here <laughs> it 's cool <laughs>
1: now why is this sort of the ta- a tactic of you know unions trying to organize workplaces what What are the advantages this offers
3: so it 's a tactic that has existed and that 's been utilized um, as far back within the labor movement as we can trace it really um, it has this tradition of you know, before being a union organizer was seen as a profession or something that unions were hiring people to do, uh, many people, especially within the early 20th century and possibly even earlier, they were just organizing where they were. Um, so these were people who, no matter where they went, no matter where they were working, uh, they were talking to their workers. And um, you know, it kind of formed the early foundation of, of the labor movement and the establishment of unions in the United States
1: So we're talking here like Knights of Labor and the IWW.
3: Yes, yeah, precisely. Uh, It was something that the IWW and Knights of Labor mastered, I would say, uh, to an extent. And, you know, we saw this tactic kind of transform throughout the history, especially after 1935, once the um, National Labor Relations Act was passed, and then... Uh, we see a, another phase of it in the middle of the century, like in the 60-ish, seven, early 70s. Um, and today there are unions who um, do rely on inside organizers quite a bit around the country, um, some more than others. Some are just now becoming educated on how they can use these people in particular to sort of help and assist their organizing. Uh, So it's kind of cool to look at that as someone on the outside, as I've been for a long time. But then now as somebody who's also uh, practicing this myself, it's it's really cool.
2: That's really cool, yeah.
3: Now, you
1: mentioned like the National Labor Relations Act. Does that like, that sort of shifted sort of the legality of this tactic in a way and sort of... um, Do you want to talk about that, you know, just sort of?
3: Yeah, sure. So I would say what that act does in particular is it sort of institutionalizes uh, how workers can organize unions, um, you know, it's when you start hearing about um, an NLRB election, um, things of that nature. And many would say that that act was passed as an attempt to sort of uh, water down the radical part right. of the it, labor because movement. Because it
1: did, you know, enable workers to uh, organize out in the open, but it also kind of limited the ways they could do that.
3: Sure. And it, it also um, made it to where I think union leaders and labor leaders had to think more about management and the relationship with the government. And there's, there's many aspects that people had to begin to consider uh, once this occurred.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because before then, you know, companies could just refuse to recognize that a union existed and was a legitimate bargaining block, you know?
3: Yeah, precisely. I mean, and even today, though, um, employers can still interfere within an organizing campaign. It's something that I know a lot of uh, labor leaders today discuss is how can we limit employer interference in an organizing campaign? Um, Because it's probably by far the greatest challenge to workers actually having a union. Um, It's employer interference, despite there being many kinds of prohibitions against employer interference. It's it's, difficult to enforce. Um, Employers are clever and they find ways to um, sort of get around these uh barriers if you will you Mm -hmm. know um
2: what kind of tactics do they use to to limit that kind of information
3: employers yeah sure um so some some so for instance they're not allowed to uh once they're aware that well in general they they're not really allowed to do this they're not allowed to directly threaten workers um they're also not, which a, is good. Right? <laughs> <That's> right <laughs> which is good. Um, Amazing. But so, like, a way of getting around direct threats is they'll, they'll hold something called um, mandatory captive audience meetings, where they'll pull all the workers into a room during work time, have a meeting. They'll bring in, they might bring in, I don't want to say they will, but they might bring in a uh, HR person, someone else, and they say, We're not going to tell you to, to not support the union but we're, we just want to tell you the facts about the union, right? <laughs> That's, they say things like that. So uh, they, say they might, I don't, and I'm being careful here because I don't want to get in trouble, but right. so they might say things like, you know, there, there are going to be strikes. You're, you're going to have to pay dues, this, 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 and this. And it's ways for them to say they're not threatening because they're not telling you not to support right. it, but they're just simply giving you the facts. Although when you think about it, it is a form of intimidation. Right. Yeah. You're demanding worker time to pay attention to you. So you can tell them that. Um, yeah, and that's one way they'll do it. They might also have man. They might also have management um, like try to uh, get workers to say why it is they want a union, so they won't. Again, they're, they're not going to try to be stern or intimidating directly, mm-hmm. but they're going to say what you know, in short, what are your grievances? Why right. is it that right you want a union? Why we c- can we not settle this another way? And that's also kind of sketchy work yeah. on their end too.
2: Yeah, that 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 especially that happened to my brother uh, last year. He was he and his workers were feeling um, neglected. I, I guess it was a word for it. And they were talking about unionizing and instead of actually having a union. Unfortunately, they they went to the person and said, "Well, these are what we want." And they were like, "Okay." So on the one hand, the management could say, "Yeah, we're listening to your and we're getting feedback. You don't need a stinking union." Um, but it, it's not actually solving the problem. It's just a, a stopgap measure. Right. It's
3: it's putting a band over the problem. It is. If that really. Yeah. Um one thing
1: companies will talk about in these sort of uh, not intimidation campaigns is they'll talk about like unions as being like a, a third party sort of outside of the workers and we don't need to bring that in here. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Right for a sacred space. Exactly. Yeah. They say <laughs> that um, you know, workers as you just said are are a third party. Why do you want to bring them in? Um, This is a
2: family, guys, a family where I get to tell you what to do all (laughs) of the time.
3: Yes, exactly. They'll they'll say things like that. Um, They kind of actually attempt to frame the union sometimes as a coercive force, really, rather than a democratic force. Mm -hmm. Um, And something that I know, at least least I've heard um, some uh, labor organizers and leaders say is, you know, the purpose of a union isn't for the union to give you something, it's for the union to get your boss to give you something, mm-hmm. and I think that's a better way of thinking about it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Um, and when you talk about these
1: sort of uh, closed door meetings where everybody has to attend, I'm reminded of like the famous stories about Walmart or Wegman's employees made to watch these, you know, videos about you know mm-hmm. anti union videos.
3: Yeah, I believe aren't companies like that? Isn't that sort of um a prerequisite to employment. Like they do it yeah. during an orientation or I've something. i heard of that, yeah. 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 It's,
1: it's not even like, you know, during a union campaign. It's just as a fact of joining their business.
3: Right, right. I mean, there are some other things that employers might do as well. You know, we've talked about them sort of taking the the, the more stern, aggressive approach. Sometimes they try to also uh, offer favors and, and light concessions to workers too. Once they find out, a campaign is underway. So for instance, they'll they might offer a raise, they might mm-hmm. try to uh, offer a management position or supervisor position to people they think are sort of leading the effort mm-hmm. within the workplace. Um, you know, again, they're they're pretty clever. And they hire what what's interesting about it too is a lot of the time they're hiring expensive <laughs> anti-union consultants. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of their these aren't techniques that they're coming up with on the spot. I mean it's it's applied everywhere at least with people i've spoken to um and it kind of makes you wonder i I mean it's obvious to us i think it's like if they could have all this money to hire these consultants why aren't they why are they so afraid of of a union who which would probably not even cost them as much and they know it's it has nothing to do with the money it has to do with the power at the end of the day Mm -hmm. um that's a fascinating aspect to it as well
1: yeah because effectively what a union does is it gives workers power that they don't have separately, you know, and that's not something that companies are willing to give up.
3: No, yeah, of course not. It's it's not good. It doesn't reflect very well for the shareholders and people who have mm-hmm. interest in investing in the company and other parts.
2: <laughs> I I don't know how you guys feel, but I I want to say uh, certain choice words that I can't actually say right now to shareholders, <laughs> but I I hope my sentiment is known nonetheless.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um so you asked about advantages as well something yeah. advantages to being an, to being an inside organizer has as opposed I guess to maybe like a a staff organizer or mm-hmm. yeah. some other form of organizer yeah um I would say one is that you're you're engaged with the workers um, intimately and you're not only so you're working their job and, mm-hmm. and in that sense it's your job too um you know you know the issues that they're facing um you you're getting this opportunity to get to know as many people as you can at the workplace you know you're getting their name beyond actually as well I want to say beyond just getting their names and you know where they work, but you're also talking to them constantly you're you're learning like what they do with their lives what they what do are their of work. concerns what are their concerns right I think the biggest thing is you're you're you know the issues you're mm-hmm. you're not only. Uh, you don't you don't only speculate about what the issues are but you're hearing them talk about the issues openly sometimes and, and you're
1: experiencing the issues yourself you know, right if you're working the job yeah. yes
3: precisely you're you're experiencing yourself as well um and that that kind of makes it easier to know how to agitate how to mm. have that discussion with the workers when it comes time to have that discussion right like you're not just kind of you know spitballing and and hoping something yeah. lands you're you know exactly what you want to say the moment you talk about it. About it, um, you're, and, and again, you're, you're the eyes and ears to the campaign eventually. I mean, you and then at the same time, you're reporting back to people on the outside as well. And they're giving you really solid advice and guidance um, in ways that they wouldn't have access to either. Right. Um, right. Mm-hmm. It might take them months to complete something that you can do in a week because you're already there and you're experiencing it as well.
2: I find it interesting that from the corporate and management side of things, they can basically hire any old person to to come in and consult on anti union organizing, such that it is, um, and and basically all the the motivations of corporate structures are are similar. Like, you know, bring home a profit at the end of the day. But one of the tactics of labor is you need to be there. You need to know the specific concerns and issues addressed and and be there with the people. And it's not just one person and one cog to fit every situation.
3: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just,
2: any any opportunity I get to, to hate on corporate America it makes me happy.
3: We almost have to find those opportunities sometimes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. there's an abundance of reasons why we could hate on corporate America. Right? It's not always easy to express that hatred. <sighs> um,
2: this is why punching out's great. I have unlimited opportunity <laughs> to, to do so. So, woo, go us. No,
3: but that brings me to another point that's also advantageous about inside organizing is that you're... Also identifying who potential leaders are Mm -hmm. and who are going to carry this movement forward, you know, because on one hand, yes, it is about that particular workplace. But our, our, I think, broader goal is to uh, revitalize a labor movement. And that takes workers, no matter where we're working at. Mm -hmm. to, to become these leaders and to take that movement back to their homes and back to their communities. Um, and that's, that's a real exciting part of it.
1: So the idea isn't just, you know, unionizing one specific workplace, but you know, of gradually unionizing them all. <laughs> yeah,
3: right. I think that's every uh, organizer's dream, right? <laughs> There's no place <laughs> off limits. Um, yeah, for sure. And, uh, and the people I work with, uh, especially on the outside, uh, their big motivation uh, for utilizing SOTS is because they do want to uh, strengthen the labor movement. You know, it's it's no secret that the labor movement and unions in general have been in a decline for decades now. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been a lot of reasons for that. Yeah. Um, you know, we can talk about <clears throat> deindustrialization and automation, taking a lot of union jobs away. But we can also talk about either the w- reluctance or this the unwillingness of certain unions to organize the disorganized workers and and i mean that's a unfortunate reality mm-hmm. and so um you know a way of going about that is you can there are, especially at this moment in time too in 2018 there are probably so many people who want to organize unions or they want to learn how to organize people mm-hmm. uh, we're talking about millennials especially right people who like ourselves or people we might know might know who are trapped in a cycle of debt because tuitions, uh, outrageous housing, isn't getting any better. Uh, I think we're the first generation who are going to have it worst in a generation before us, mm-hmm. or at least in a long time. Um, and we're working low, low wage jobs that, mm-hmm. Because there are all that's left for us, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only reason these jobs are low wage, especially if you're talking about jobs like the service sector, um, mm-hmm. is simply because they're not organized. They don't have unions. There's no real logical reason why a barista or a server should be paid any less than the factory workers decades ago. The only reason for it is simply because they, they don't have that representation or that bargaining power.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's nothing unique to manufacturing that made those jobs union jobs. You know, It can... Those sort of the sorts of things that built unions in those industries can also be applied to retail and service work.
3: Oh, absolutely! Yeah. Um, well,
2: I mean, just to play devil's advocate for a second, I'm, I absolutely one hundred percent agree that these or these industry positions should be unionized. Do you think it is a barrier that so many more service jobs are part time?
3: Yes, absolutely. Because, because, yeah.
2: yeah, to me, like, it's it's not just that it's not organized. It's hard to organize it when it's constantly in flux. Like if you get a factory yeah. job, you can be there for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but y- if you're working at a coffee shop, you could be working at the next coffee shop like the next week. Yeah. Um, so I feel like it, it, as far as that, that's a really hard thing to work. Part of that's
1: like a, a chicken and the egg problem. Like, you know, mm-hmm. is that sort of turnover and that sort of right. fluidity a result of not having unions in those? Yeah,
3: places? that's a great question. Yeah. Um, it doesn't make anything easier. <laughs> right, I think. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that that sense of turnover we're talking about, I think it would decrease if people had a reason to stay. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people might view, you know, again, the next, uh, just we're on the subject of coffee shops. We're just using that as an example. Maybe the one next door is no different than the one over here, except maybe the people over there are better to work with, so I might as well just go over there. Um, But who knows? Maybe if one of those places or a couple of them did have, um, some bargaining power and they did start seeing increases in their benefits and their wages, then that gives them a reason to stay. I mean, why would they want to lose that? Right. Yeah. It's hard to say. It could be like a chicken yeah. The yeah. Egg problem. Yeah. And just I historically
1: sort of, of the service industry and the retail, or uh, you know, service, food service, you know, these jobs have been held more by women and that's sort of been a blind mm-hmm. spot to, to some extent of the unions themselves.
3: Yeah. That's a good point too. Um,
2: yeah. Know. No. Per- yeah. Yes. As the woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. That, that that is true. It's it's uh, like the probably one exception is nurses' unions um, yep. have been historically very strong, but those are also very highly skilled jobs that are full time. Um, mm-hmm. Organizing part time is is a challenge. And board time is also a
3: challenge, too, because a lot of people also work second or third jobs. Like, when are they ever home? When do they ever have time to actually talk to somebody and vent their problems? And And
1: you and I were on an episode a few weeks back now where we talked about the hotel strike, which Mm -hmm. in some cities is still going on Mm -hmm. today. And in some places it has been settled that the strikers have won what what they were asking for. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) The Marriott hotel strike. Um, And. One of the things that we talked about with that strike in particular is that a lot of hotel workers are immigrants. There's a Mm -hmm. language barrier that makes, you know, organizing and unifying those workers more challenging perhaps than, you know, the factory workers of yore. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: Do you ever, to be honest, do you ever feel like there can be a division between different industries when they're organizing? Like... If I were a factory worker, would I be more reluctant to help a hotel worker
3: unionize? Oh, uh, that's an amazing question. <laughs> the mark. easy, the easy answer would be, well, it depends on who you talk to. But I think that's that's a cop out. I think right. what you're asking desires some concrete answers. Um,
1: well, I think. You see yeah. some, in some cases, like, there's almost a resentment towards people who are below you. Like, mm-hmm. with Fight for 15, you know, the, like, common re- response from so many people who are opposed to it is, well, why should fast food workers get 15 an hour when I don't get 15 an hour? Mm-hmm. Or famously, you know, EMTs is the one they right. always love to bring up. And the idea that all of these people should deserve 15 an hour is not really talked about.
2: right. Yeah, and that that's kind of what I was thinking is is it's when not being an organizer myself for a lot of reasons, but mostly cuz I'm a manager. Uh <laughs> it's hard for me to do that. Uh it's it's easy to see how one industry can look at another or another group of people going to look at the other and be like, "Well, we have this, but you don't deserve that because of x y and z." And historically, I feel like that's been a problem between unions so like you can have one union here and another union there or not and they don't necessarily have that solidarity
3: yeah i kind of wonder how those attitudes foment because i know people who are let's say they're skilled laborers they're like you know um like hvac technicians or Mm -hmm. welders whatever you want to call them and they, they they carry that that same attitude like well if the fast food worker up the road gets their wages increased my job is essentially value devalued mm-hmm. which I don't really understand exactly because my challenge to that person would be well, if they get paid that much are you gonna leave your your job for to work fast food and of course they're gonna say no right right because that there are yeah. difficulties
1: that come with those jobs beyond just the low wages mm-hmm. yeah
3: exactly um and uh, that's something I was thinking about earlier too is how some work can be viewed this is this is actually an If I can frame this right, it becomes really interesting. So some work is obviously devalued, like we're talking about Mm -hmm. low wage fast food work as in compared to, I don't know, maybe skilled labor or labor that today already has at least good wages. That doesn't necessarily mean they have good benefits or the job is great. But, you know, jobs that are already have good, good wages. I think there seems to be this idea that, well, those jobs deserve those wages because it's, Mm -hmm. it's hard work. Uh, and fast food doesn't deserve good wages because, I guess, it's not hard work, even though <laughs> anybody <laughs> who's worked in food industry knows it's incredibly hard work. I mean, it's exhausting mm-hmm. once you, you go home and you just want to, like, crash on the couch and not talk to anybody. Uh, but then, so so that's an interesting... Uh, dichotomy there but then what's also interesting is how that doesn't carry over to bosses right so no one yeah so right right right. so let's say the person in your neighborhood decides they want to start their own plumbing company you know exist for however long they exist get very well off get actually pretty wealthy their company does well people say that person deserves his, his all his wealth because he worked hard okay fine but then They still devalue food workers, but they won't devalue the food worker boss that same way. They'll say, well, that food worker boss deserves all that wealth because he's worked hard. Yeah. But so I don't get how there's a dichotomy for the workers and how you view them. But the bosses of these same industries get the same exact view. There's a shared image of them. It's like Jeff Bezos will be viewed the same way as the the Walton family, Mm -hmm. even though they, Mm -hmm. they operate. Well, they. Or similar. I mean, it's retail. <laughs> but <one's> seen, <laughs> one seen one is seen as, as, a, as a, I guess, what, a lot of tech capitalists in a way. But Jeff mm-hmm. Bezos and the other is seen as just like you know people who open up these these stores all around the, right. the country. And it's I don't know. That's fascinating to me. That's the, an excellent point. Uh, it gets
1: back to that chicken and the egg idea where some positions, because they have historically been valued and well paid, now are seen as deserving of being valued and well paid. It's you know. The very existence of a well-paying position justifies the existence of the well-paying position <laughs> in a sort of weird uh-huh. circular logic.
2: The point is, everybody should be getting paid a lot more than they are, regardless yeah. of how or where they work.
1: That's yeah, a, that's a very good point. And um, on that <laughs> note, we're going to take a small break here, and we'll be right back.
2: You're listening to Punching
3: Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.
1: Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined today by Lou and uh, Sid. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, we've been talking about you know, inside organizing, which is, um do you want to sort of refresh people's memories who are maybe just tuning in on what that is?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, a simple definition would be a pers- an inside organizer is someone who seeks employment from a place with the express purpose of organizing unions. Um So they go into a shop that's not organized and you look to meet the workers, so they can be organized. <laughs>
1: and, and this is a tactic that has had success in recent years. I, I, I think I've seen instances uh, where it's been cited in like Starbucks unionizing the coffee shops as we talked mm-hmm. about in the first segment.
3: Right. I know it's also been successful at some of uh, the university campaigns. So the kitchens and the cafeteria workers at universities across across the country, I know um, they've been utilizing these same people. Um, yeah, to to great success actually. Um, and th- there's some good writing on on the topic two they might not call it inside organizing depending on um what you're reading but there's there's some good stuff whether just talk tracing the history of it or recent sometimes people will even um share articles where they interview inside organizers and Mm -hmm. they just kind of give their experience doing it what it's like what we're doing right now (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, exactly it's cool um (laughs)
1: So why is this all important right now in 2018? What is the significance of this tactic and of the labor movement more broadly in this moment?
3: Right. Um, It's important in 2018. um, I mean, and in general, I think even a few years before this, uh, because without a strong, robust labor movement, the right in the United States gets to uh, present themselves as the voice for working people. Mm-hmm. And that's how you get people like Donald Trump and extreme right wing fascist, yeah. <laughs> for, <laughs> just say it, for just lack say of a better it, word. Um, heck yeah. You know, so they could say that um, I think there's been a cozying up between some unions and the Democratic Party to the point where, it doesn't benefit unions as much as it does the democratic party. Mm -hmm. And, um, for that reason, you know, and again, the democratic party doesn't, hasn't really, uh, been a promise for working people. Right. So these people then will go and say, well, these crazy people, um, wanting to strip people of their abortion rights and, uh, block immigrants, somehow they're going to stand up for me, the person who's working a job that pays them $8 an hour. Um, and so, labor movements i think inherently sort of provide a force to combat these dangerous ideas um, and i think a large reason that the far right's been more or less successful recently is because there's there's just no mm-hmm. no one's no one else is, is organizing these people no one else is talking to these people um, so that that's kind of why our, the labor movement offers promise
1: yeah, yeah. just on like a, a sort of smaller scale just within the workplace, you know, uh, setting aside, you know, electoral politics, you know, we're talking at a time when inequality is at record highs, when wages have stagnated. And partly that's a result of the decline in the labor movement that we've seen for the past 50, 60 years now. And so how do we sort of reverse that trend?
3: Sure. Um, So I think for us, it's important to um, be unequivocal in saying that the right to organize a union is a fundamental civil and human right Mm. and should be taken as seriously as your voting rights and as your right to anything else. Um, I mean, when, if you're a worker and you're trying to organize a union, let's use an example, actually. So uh, recently there is the Nissan campaign down in Mississippi. Uh, I knew some people who were a part of that and that was um, long and harsh and brutal. Um, and it's it's say it's a majority black workforce down there, um, and one worker down there had framed it as, well, if I'm want to organize a union and the boss is telling me I can't, or uh, if I try to, I'll be punished. How is that any different than him saying I'll be punished if I try to vote, right? Um, and it is because organizing is a fundamental civil and human right, um, and without that, you know, it's it's violating a. Critical principle of our democracy, yeah. Um, yeah. and it's something that both parties have allowed to sort of happen without really giving it a second thought. I'm mm-hmm. um, on a tangent, though. No, you, well, <laughs> no that was you, perfect. You had another question. You were saying like something about the workplace, well, and
1: well, well, just to go back to that campaign because the UAW eventually lost. in they that did. campaign. Yeah. They, they weren't able to organize, and you know what we've seen is a lot of these auto manufacturers popping up in the south precisely because they're those areas are ununionized, you know, as compared to, you know, the Rust Belt famously, you know, it's sort of, here we have those manufacturing jobs that everybody loves to tout, but they are jobs that aren't allowing their workers to organize and workers are suffering as a result. You know, I I think way back a year ago at this point, uh, I talked on the show, there was an article in like Bloomberg about the conditions for auto workers in the South and like the, on the cover of their magazine was a guy with his arm had been amputated at the elbow mm. because of an injury he suffered in the workplace and just wasn't able to get justice for that. Mm. Wow. Well. <laughs>
2: so, Keeping it to cheery, uh, guys. <laughs> no, um. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, it's, it, to, to yell at Corporate America again, that's a tactic that you hear a lot or talked about a lot is, is uh, oh, well, if you... That, that um, intimidation, if, if you guys organize, well, we'll just pick up and move to somewhere that doesn't have an organization. Um, and these corporations, they always forget that it's their workers who are making them their money. And we, we workers forget that too often, that yeah. without us, they have nothing. Um, we, we have the power, they don't. But we have to be united in order to, to actually wield that power.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And um that's that's a big challenge too though is is kind of inoculating uh yeah. people, like regular ordinary working people um with that attitude and and it's the right attitude to have though, right? Mm-hmm. I mean um it's it's why people like Bezos is the richest person in the world and yet and yet still finds every reason in the book to say, to say why he can't give his workers a decent salary. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's at the very least what they deserve. You
1: know, there were were a a couple stories I saw this week. Uh, one was in Minnesota where there's this large uh, population of Somali Americans. Mm -hmm. And, um, they had, uh, actually brought Amazon to negotiate for like the first time. any of those warehouse workers have been able to over the conditions, over the, you know, increased pace that they've had to undergo as workers. Uh, And the other, uh, Amazon workers in Spain and Germany went on strike this past Black Friday because of, you know, these sorts of conditions.
3: Right. And then, you know, not to talk about Amazon too much, but they're getting ready to open up more headquarters. Um, Like what, I think it was Northern Virginia and New York City, Mm -hmm. Um, of course, with great tech subsidies and some... Thank you
1: to Andrew Cuomo. (laughs) doing great job there, Andrew. Loving
2: it. Andy. He'll call me Andy.
3: (laughs) And I mean, another thing too, though, that's... That should sort of catch our attention is how. Um, so you know you have, of course, terrible bosses that are pretty easy to point out. They're a dime a dozen and <laughs> they're they're everywhere. Uh, but but the real some of the real interesting bosses that should be challenged are the ones who s- seem progressive, right? So we talk about a place like Starbucks. They're progressive on absolutely everything, right? They 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 hold up nice little you know rainbow flags during Pride Month. They're you know they're pro LGBTQ and they, they're pro like disability rights advocates. They, they make these at least gestures to these people to say, yes, we, we appreciate all sorts of people. It's kind of actually spreading amongst corporations in general where they'll say, we respect your rights. We're an inclusive. Company, um, you know, it's part of our. It's how we build our family. You know, you mentioned that earlier, um, and they'll and they'll do everything they can to to appear progressive, and they say yes, we respect and appreciate your rights. We encourage you to have your rights. So then, but if you ask them, well, what about the right to organize? And then you know, they say, well, wait a minute, we we weren't going that far, and <laughs> actually, in fact, I think you you mentioned Amazon and, and the relationship between Amazon and Whole Foods is interesting because Bezos owns both. And I think one of it was one of the HR pe- people at Whole, Whole Foods. I can't quite remember what the title of this person was. And he said, "It's not that we're against unions; it's that we're we're beyond unions." And it's like, mm-hmm. "You're who says that we're kind of thing?" Beyond unions, yeah. Are you me? <laughs> it's friendsworthy <laughs> Yeah, we've
1: uh, uh, talked in the past in the show about the language used by HR people and you know yep. the
2: human resentments. Guys, go check those episodes out; they're fun. <laughs>
3: um, so something that. That's also interesting about inside organizing, at least for for people who are who are who are inside organizers, is that it gives them an opportunity to um, take what we can assume are radical politics and and take them into a place that desperately needs it. Um, you know, I think a big part of radicals and socialists and even progressives is that they care about ordinary working people, um, and a lot of times they're they're sort of lost on how to put that into practice. You know, they'll they'll sit in a room with with their friends and, and them, and them, you know, and me included, like I sit in a room with my friends and that's what we talk about. Uh, but then it, it doesn't really leave that room. Right. So it's like how, how successful or, or, or productive are we being if we're just talking with each other and not finding a way to practice it. I think there was a writer I read the other day who said, it's sort of like being a fish without a sea to swim in and being an inside organizer gives us uh, <laughs> almost a boundless sea to swim in. I mean, you know, you can just go from, you could go to one place and stay there and and just build power there and and decide, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. Or you could just bounce from place to place to place. Mm -hmm. But you're, along the way... um, you're, you're essential to building that movement and you're, again, taking these politics and you're spreading them and you're getting other people on board and you're getting other people interested. You know, there becomes a point where it's like you're you're organizing because you're radical, but then some people become radical because they've been organized and yeah. that's just, that's an interesting play there, so.
2: That's a lovely metaphor. unironically. <laughs> <laughs> ironically, it's very, very nice.
1: Um, and I'm just sort of struck by like how much of this stuff is stuff that nobody even talks about or hears about, you know, in the present, like, discourse, you know, labor movements and union movements aren't really anything that's discussed. When there was a time in this country when these sorts of efforts, these sorts of campaigns, these sorts of organizers would have been, you know, well known, at least, if not to the public, to authorities who were afraid of them. You know, <laughs> um, I've, I've been reading this book about, um, there's this character in history named Frank Little who worked for the IWW and he would go from town to town, you know, organizing strikes and organizing unions to the extent he could. This was like the 1910s. So there was a lot of pushback. You know, he uh, was eventually murdered for his work doing this. Um, and we don't, have the sort of discourse now that we had back then about the importance of these efforts and the significance.
3: Right. Um, and that's something my mentor discusses with me quite a bit too. Um, and a big reason why I'm doing this work and why, um, he and I and the people we work with are seeking other people to do this work, um, is because there are, a lot of unions that don't have an organizing infrastructure, right? They just kind of, they stick to representing the people they already have. Uh, but they're not doing that that critical thing, which is organizing the disorganized. Um, so utilizing, uh, utilizing inside organizers uh, gives them a way to sort of build this infrastructure. Um, and you were talking about, you know, some unions in general probably aren't being discussed as much, but the role of inside organizers, that's not even something that's being discussed within... The labor, the labor movement, movement yeah. right? Mm-hmm. There yeah. are again some unions that use them, but there are some that have no idea what it is, and my mentor has been discussing with me how they've been traveling, how they'll give talks to like, you know, separate different, you know, mm-hmm. unions across the country, and some people know, but some people are in complete awe like wow, this is a great idea, and it's like it's something that's been around forever though, mm-hmm. you know.
1: And and like you would use the the term salting, which, you know, is something that I hadn't even heard of until probably four months ago. And I I think a lot of us, even in progressive socialist circles, were unfamiliar with. And that's sort of the extent to which labor politics has fallen by the wayside and fallen out of the uh, public eye and thought.
3: Right. I mean, there's also a lot of writing, I see at least, where um, people, and they're not wrong to discuss this. I don't want these people to think i'm hating on them (laughs) right there's no criticism there's an observation it's an observation right where people say we got to get away from the traditional forms of organizing uh we got to modernize u.s labor law and on the surface i'm like yeah you're, you're making some points but then you ask them well what what are your ideas and they're so abstract at least to me um that I don't even know if they would achieve the, the goal that they set out. So, you know, people say, we got to get away from unions. We got to get away from bargaining. We got to get away from contracts. Uh, some people have su- suggested the idea of work councils or, um, you know, things along that nature, which to me, at least again, on the surface, and I'm, I don't know all the ins and outs, but that kind of just seems too similar to a company union, which there's reasons we don't have company unions. It's because that, would defeat the purpose of having a union at all. There, there's no worker power there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might get a small concession here or there. I mean, we talked about the Somali workers bringing Amazon to the table. Um, and again, I think I'm going to see how that unfolds. I'm mm-hmm. optimistic about it at, overall, yeah. but the article I read about that also emphasized there was no talk of a union, and then they even quoted a law professor as, um, quoted a law professor as sort of insulting traditional forms of unions. Uh, Mm. So again, it's like, well, you know, they kind of sound like they're trying to emulate a union structure without actually giving it any sort of teeth for people. Mm. And it also doesn't seem bottom up. It seems very like top Top, down. Right. Um, I don't know. I am just, so again, that's why I think uh, unions as we discussed them aren't being talked about (laughs) as much. It's not so pervasive. It's because people are constantly focusing on the alternatives. Mm -hmm. So
1: Yeah. We've talked in the passed on the show about uh, sort of these efforts to make laws that would help the labor movement. And I, I think the point you're getting at is that a lot of this change has to come from within rather than from through legislation. And there are certainly changes in the law that would make your job easier, that would make, you know, yeah. <laughs> organizing <laughs> unions and growing unions easier. But there, at, at, to some extent, we can't rely on the legislative process to get us out of this mess.
3: Right. I agree. I think the only legislative process I want to see is one that discourages strongly, actually more or less prohibits employer interference in organizing campaigns. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you had talked about these uh, these elections, these uh,
1: NORB elections that y- you currently are the route to getting official union recognition, right?
3: Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm working to... Uh, Get workers to a point where either you know they'll they'll earn a union to, via card check or uh, right. an and, LRB election. And, and card yeah.
1: check is sort of the alternative to that, which is much less uh, prone to employer interference. I guess you could say.
3: Um, I still think it it I still think it's prone to employer interference to some way. I don't think having a card check will necessarily limit or abolish employer interference there are mm-hmm. some campaigns who actually the employer said sure I'll give you a card check because it's ultimately up to the employer whether they want a card check or an election mm-hmm. but they they're not saying they won't interfere um they're not saying they won't try to encourage their workers to not sign a card yeah, <laughs> i mean that's true it, it's it's hard i mean i think that was the big thing with efca right the employer free choice act employee free choice act is that it allowed one of the big uh, parts of it was that it allowed workers to sort of choose whether or not... <laughs> well, it just kind of said if they wanted car check, they could have it. Um, but that does, does nothing to limit employer interference, again. Okay, um, and that's that's a, a tactic. Um, there are ways to strategize about, A, either limiting employer interference, or should they interfere, you, you can strategize around that too. Um, but th- I think that's the most crucial... Um, challenge we face ultimately from employers Um,
1: okay Um, we're going to take another little break here and we'll be right back
0: you're listening to Punching Out on Wayo 104.3 if you
3: enjoy our show you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Punching Out Wayo if you'd like to share your stories you can email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com back to the show
1: Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm here with Sid and Lou. We've been talking about inside organizing and you know Sid's experiences doing that. And um, y- Sid, I know you wanted to make this point about sort of drawing a distinction between you know union efforts and more of these uh, broader progressive campaigns, which might not be focused on building union power.
3: Sure, yeah. To preface, I support a lot of the national. Uh, progressive campaign so Mm -hmm. uh, I strongly support fight for 15 um, and I've even helped you know organize little things here and there for it Um, but my if if I have one my critique of of these large campaigns is that um, they generate a lot of public support which is good you know it gets voters to think and, and people who might have a way to um Affect change somehow without being really involved in a movement, mm-hmm. but that their uh, success isn't built upon a, a bottom-up movement, mm-hmm. uh, if I can say that. Okay. So, for instance, someone like, that's a, it's a legislative movement, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. first and foremost. Um, and so what you'll see is, you know, a 5 for 15 campaign raised people's wages. Um, but I think that also, just to le- legislate wage increase around the board which again i'm for wage increases to be legislated i want them (laughs) but that just puts a band-aid over the problem you you know a few years down the road (laughs) you're gonna have the same issue where it's like that that's also still not enough money Mm -hmm. and not only is that not enough but the workers themselves still have no way to bargain for more you're gonna have to rely on yet again another big national campaign and it also it doesn't challenge that the power that corporations have in a significant way at all Um, so someone like Jeff Bezos yet again coming up he'll give you with one hand and take with the other. So he'll give you $15 an hour and then right. cut your benefits, raise your production, cut your healthcare, slash your vacation time. So it's like, sure, why do, why the hell not? I can do that. Yeah, No problem. Well,
2: the worst part is they'll say, but what? You wanted this. I'm giving you exactly what you wanted.
3: Right. Yeah. Cool. I'm, jerk. I'm responding to uh, consumer demands or something. <laughs> Who knows? He's obsessed uh, with the customer, he says. so.
1: Well, there's this, I mean, the Fight for 15 campaign has had success in like, Raising the minimum wage in this state, among others, uh, I know New York City through the legislative process they've gotten a fifteen dollars minimum wage. The rest of us here up upstate haven't been so lucky. Right. But, it's going to um, max it out at twelve for us. Yeah, um, but I I think we can say is that that success hasn't been enough. It's
3: mm-hmm. the right. point you, yeah
1: you're making. Um, and originally the movement, you know, it was fight for fifteen and a union, which. Uh, that part has sort of been lost in the shuffle.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not as, uh, uh, alliterative. Yeah. So it's harder to write cool signs about it. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, that is definitely a criticism to be made. I, you absolutely want the benefits of, of a 15 uh, minimum wage increase, uh, because ultimately that's good for everybody. Um, but it's not enough to just say, well, this is what we need right now. And then, and then what's next? Like, there's no afterthought right. or or any organization to continue the struggle. Like, yeah, the, with Fight for 15, it stops there. Once you win, then what? Yeah. What's next?
3: Yeah, I don't think it offers a, a model for how to move forward exactly mm-hmm. how you said. And I also understand why this is, I guess, the, the popular decision at the moment, too. I mean, in mm-hmm. the absence of a robust labor movement, yeah, it just makes sense that people will, you know go to larger social movements to address their struggles. I mean, that that just mm-hmm. makes sense overwhelmingly. And, it, and in some cases, it's it might, and I don't know for sure, but it might even um, impede on a union's ability to bargain well. I mean, it's hard to bargain for $15 an hour when the very next year <laughs> legislation's demanding that you gradually start increasing your workers' wages to that anyways. Mm-hmm. I think unions give workers the not only the better pay and benefits, obviously, but also a way to not wait on legislation to pass mm-hmm. for them to get their demands. The, in and in a way to keep that fight
1: going if they win.
3: Right. Yeah, exactly. A way to keep going if they win. I think, think you worded it perfectly. Yeah.
2: <laughs> which isn't, again, which isn't to say that Fight for 15 isn't doing important work or anything. Right. Like these national movements right. aren't doing anything. Right. But it does need to be, it, it, it should be supplemental to the organizing in the union it, that yeah. you should already be doing. Hint, right. Hint.
3: And it's frustrating when the same people who would promote a Fight for 15 are dismissive of, of unions. It's just, that I think that's sort of. <laughs> Is that something you've encountered? Um, like personally, no one's told me that. No. Um, but I, I almost feel like, you know, it's, it's something you read There there are people who write about $15 an hour, but who are starting kind of finding any way they can to, to not write about a union or talk about union rights. Um, and I think it could kind of work the other way around. I mean, we mentioned earlier, some workers kind of being antagonistic, this other workers being, are uh, receiving a higher wage, (laughs) but I wonder if they would say those workers shouldn't have a union though. Cause I think a lot of people yeah. understand like wanting a voice on the job and, and things yeah. like that. So mm-hmm.
2: yeah, that that's an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I think so. No. Maybe,
2: maybe the problem is that they don't think they should get that benefit without a union.
3: Right. Maybe. I, I don't know. I, it's hard. To, I mean, because when you, when you're organizing workers, you're not just going to be organizing progressives. I think workers mm-hmm. are all walks of life. And so, um, you kind of have to meet them where they're at, and I think maybe why someone would support a union and not a fifteen dollars minimum wage is because fifteen dollars just seems like liberal hoo-ha or something, you know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Those crazy progressives out there. It's like, okay, dude. <laughs> uh,
1: now w- we wanted to end the show, I guess, talking about more specifically your experiences doing this work and what maybe you've learned from doing it.
3: Yeah, sure. I started documenting my days. Not every day, but anytime something really cool happened, or even sometimes when a great disappointment happened, I would document it and uh, kind of use it as a teaching moment for myself and for others. Some days, um, these moments of, of gold appear out of nowhere. You don't anticipate you weren't trying to seek it, like the days when uh, a worker approaches you and you start a discussion, you know, mundane discussion and then unprompted, this worker starts kind of spilling their guts out about why they are disappointed with the job and what's getting on their nerves. And uh, you you just listen to them and your eyes get huge and you're just like, keep talking, keep talking. Because that's, that's ammunition, that's, mm-hmm. that's what you want. But sometimes it's disappointing. Like the next day you might go to work and you weren't able to talk to really any of the workers in a meaningful way. You you just did your job and you left. And, and you're walking home. And you're like, man, I'm pretty bummed. Uh, so there's this sense of unpredictability sometimes. Like some days, out of nowhere, something amazing happens, and then other days, like you're, you're, no matter how badly you wanted or even tried to to get useful information, it just didn't didn't come your way, and that can that can be frustrating another challenge is just isolation, Mm. especially if you're working at a building or a, or a shop that has many departments and they're, they're kind of separated by when these workers start and in their shifts. Um, or even just throughout the, the the task that you got to complete during the day, you you might not even run by these people or walk by these people. So it's like how to get into these other parts of the building or workplace that Mm -hmm. you obviously need to to talk to people.
1: Um, no, it's um and now how long have you been doing this work?
3: Wow, how long have I been doing it? Not long to be honest with you. I s you know, I've known about people doing this for a few years. I haven't started doing it myself until maybe two months ago. Oh wow. Heck yeah. Okay. So I'm so, really I'm really new into it. Yeah. No, oh, yeah,
2: but
1: it you know cool. now,
2: now this, somewhere.
1: this seems like a um like it's the sort of thing that'll be long and protracted. These things don't happen overnight is the, is the sense I get.
3: Yeah. No, they definitely don't happen overnight. I mean, uh, you can, and I've done it too. I've sketched, you know, a loose timeline of how I would like to see things progress and I share it with my mentors and people on the outside and you know, they, they'll review it and they edit it. But yeah, um, you know, you, you you hope for a quick and painless battle, but I don't. I don't know if we can realistically. <laughs> Do you know of
2: anybody who's had a quick and painless battle? I don't actually know. <laughs> I
3: don't know of anyone who's had a quick and painless Still a battle. Goal. I mean, you know? it it might happen somewhere in time, but <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know of anybody. So
2: until then, just just keep getting the 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 stories. It'll fuel your fire.
1: It <laughs> okay. and it gets us back to that whole, you know. This all feels like espionage. It feels very much, you know, like you're undercover.
3: Yeah, it totally does. It's a discussion we've had come up at these inside organizer school trainings they go to, uh, which I'll talk about in a moment. But um, some you know someone has raised the question: Do you feel like you're sort of being dishonest with the people you're working with as you're uh, doing this work? And that's a good question to ask and a, and a good internal debate to have with yourself. And and it'll be different depending on who you talk to. I think the the consensus is no. And for myself, I don't feel dishonest either because um, I'm not lying about being working class. You know, I am working right. class. I've been You're working doing class the job. since I started working. Yeah, I'm doing the job. I'd probably be doing this job anyways. Yeah, uh, Now <laughs> you just have a, a yeah. different motivation. You know, it's like I'm, yeah, I'm not someone who um, is going to do this and then exploit them for my, my own gain at right. the end of the day. Yeah. Um,
2: and ultimately the balance of power lies so strongly with the bosses and the corporation because they do have all the information at yes. their fingertips. And as a worker, you don't necessarily know what everybody else is making as far as salary. You don't know what their daily work is like. Like if nothing else, you're doing them a favor. You're like, you're not being dishonest. Right. You're giving them the opportunity to be honest with themselves about where they're, where they are yeah. in terms of work. Right. Like, and what their actual feelings are.
3: Yeah, Absolutely. And I don't think any of them would be angry with me should I should they later find out that like right. that's what I was doing the whole time. Yeah. And I mean there's an interesting story where assault you know, I'm using that word again. Um, and a person who was already in the inside who wasn't just just a regular worker, yeah. who was now this is a true story, who is now very radical and a big part of his local. Well, the inside organizer was there, part of this campaign. And the worker who eventually became, a you know, a, a huge leader within his own union didn't even know that the other worker was an inside organizer until he walked into the union office one day and saw him, right? <laughs> and that's just, like, the level of secrecy that, that he kept, you know. He, he, he was literally a part of the campaign, and I don't know how long he stayed after they won. But then he left, and he didn't say a word to anybody about who he was or what he was doing. Um, so you're right, it's like... It is like espionage. Do
1: do you happen to (laughs) know where the term salt comes from? Because this is something I've tried to find out and I've been unable to. Um,
3: I have no idea, to be honest. (laughs) And I wish I did. I like it, though, as a word. I do. I'm a big fan of it. Uh, And for those who don't know, there's also a word called a pepper which is the opposite of assault. It's someone who's just working there already, and then they're like, I should get a union in this place. Um, mm-hmm. So full disclosure. But I've also heard people call it a bunch of different things in the past. Supposedly, the Soviets called it colonization, and that's pretty tone-deaf, but that's, that's yeah, what they called it. So, fine. I mean, okay. there's there's like a whole spectrum of language associated with this one activity, <laughs> that, and it all means the same thing. But
2: Whatever it's
1: called
3: is good work. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, how did you get into it? How did you
1: get involved in doing this?
3: How did I get involved? So I was a I was a student organizer when I was in college, and a friend of mine, or a couple of friends of mine, actually met where they, they either were doing it or they did it just for a short period of time. And then um, I actually came about it um, through the DSA, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so I was a part of my DSA back home where I'm from, and someone had posted about a flyer about the Inside Organizer School. Um, and so I sent... The, who is now my mentor, sent them an email, said I was interested in coming. I spoke with them on the phone. They, they wanted just to get, not really interview me, just get to know me and see why it is I wanted to come. So we talked. It was a great discussion. We met in person. That was an even cooler discussion. <laughs> and I then um, I went to this weekend-long training called the Inside Organizer School, and it was about 30 or 40 people, and it, uh, it had experienced labor organizers there who had been doing this work for decades. It had people who are, I like, presidents of their or vice presidents of their locals. It had shop stewards. It had people who were already involved in a campaign as an inside organizer, and then had people like me who, at that time, that's why I wanted. You know, I wanted to learn the skills of how to organize. I think i had been trying to organize, whether mainly, I think I feel like you could consider it community organizing in student organizing. I'd been doing that for a long time, and I felt like throughout that whole experience, I had fun. There's some good stories, but I I also just, I hadn't learned how to organize. I learned how not to organize, and that's, that, you know, that can be good, too, but I I just wanted to learn how to organize. um,
1: And how to, like, build power. And
3: how to build power, yeah, because to me, the most important thing was learning these skills, not, not really, I don't know, I'm not really interested in, in tweets and, and the, not. I'm not I'm not interested in like the glamour side of things. I'm just interested in doing the work itself. And yeah. I felt like this is the best way for me to get involved and learn how to do it. And then um, that's the short story. That's how it goes.
1: But you don't necessarily have to have any of your background to get involved in this work.
3: No, of course not. No. I think it's it's something that it's designed for ordinary people really to be able to do. And for people who may feel like they're trapped in... Kind of again, the like cycle of debt or maybe just poverty that we all experience to confront that and it gives us ways to challenge it and and win. So yeah anyone can do it um, I that, that that's my hope is that you have a whole little army of inside organizers everywhere <laughs> to put fear into the boss's mind <laughs> make them paranoid it's, awesome. it's, a, it's a wonderful thought <laughs> 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 to where they're sweating during every interview because they don't know if this person's one of them you know? <laughs> oh no actually so what is that there's a film that came out recently about an inside organizer it's what is it it's the Boots Riley film Yes. Yeah, sorry to bother you yes that's
2: about, yeah. that's, about that's what that's, that's about that's all I've been Thinking about this entire yes. time, yeah, is you it's exactly and, and and when you promote the managers, that's like it when the movie the yeah. thing <laughs> happened,
3: which is crazy because I mean, Booch Riley is, is a communist, and so it just makes sense that right that's what that film's about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's cool that there are people putting this idea out there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we we hope we've done some small part in doing that today here on the radio. Um, yeah.
3: I hope I represented it well. I'm, yeah, I'm not too sure.
1: No, you've done marvelously. Um, Hope to have you back on sometime soon. Um, for now, uh, we've we're out of time today. I'm Ryan.
2: I'm Lou, and
3: I'm Stid.
1: This is Punching Out.
0: You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Leo.